0: You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to be together this morning. My name is Kerry Kaufman. Uh, my wife, Emily, you may have met also. We, uh, we are here at the church now. We've been coming for about half a year or so. And uh, the elders have given me the opportunity to get to share with you from God's Word again. So I'm super grateful for that chance. Um, let's just start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, get rolling here. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. Grateful for your Word, and grateful for all that you've given us. God, we thank you that the questions that we have in life, They're answered in your word, that you give us insights, you give us uh, truth and wisdom. And so we pray, God, that as we come forward to your word, that you would give us eyes to see what it is you would like to show us this morning. We pray for ears to hear the wisdom that you may have for us. God, uh, make our hearts receptive, and thank you for this time. Amen. All right. Well. As you guys may have seen last week, um, I was licensed as our new pastor of life groups and spiritual formation. Um, that was really exciting. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, that was really exciting for me. Uh, Emily and I, like I said, uh, my wife and I are fairly new here, and, and just having the, uh, the thrill of that was just really encouraging, um, really exciting, and I just want to thank, thank the pastoral staff, thank the elders And thank all of you for being a church community that has welcomed us, that has given me lots of opportunities to try things out and experience things and and stretch my wings as a a younger pastor. And So I'm really grateful. Thank you for that. One of the things that was cool about last week, too, is that my parents were able to come and be here for my licensing. And so that was kind of a thrill, too, because they don't live in the town next door. They actually live in Northern California up in the Bay Area. So they were able to travel all the way down here. And I was really glad that they could be here. It's kind of like a graduation thing. You want your parents there. And um, one of the things that uh, that makes me think of is just that thinking, man, it was so good to have them there because I know my parents are supportive love my parents they uh they are so generous um even all through my growing up and being raised and then even into my married life today they are so encouraging they've been, been supportive they empower me and man when they say things I can trust them because I know how supportive they are when they make promises I know I can count on them and that is so nice I love that but I know that's not a luxury that all of us have right not all of us have parents that we can trust. And we'd honestly say, yeah, Carrie, that's great, but my parents, I don't know if I trust them. When they say things, they make promises, I don't know if I can count on that." And honestly, sometimes how we feel about our parents, how we trust our parents, can be unfortunately translated into how we trust Jesus. Now, I don't want sta- to step on the toes of our Counseling Pastor Ron Jackson to be, (laughs) he can tell you much more about that. But but honestly, sometimes we take how we feel about our parents or other authorities, and we put that on God, and so we have a hard time trusting Jesus too. Now, I was reading this week in uh, Matthew, just the very end of Matthew in chapter twenty-eight, and Jesus is with his followers. He's with his disciples, and he's commissioned them to just lake susan was telling us to go out into all the world and tell everyone about jesus spread the gospel the good news and as you do that as you face all those scenarios jesus says to them i am with you always to the end of the age so jesus makes this promise but anyone could just say that right i could say i'll be with you always but am i actually going to back that up right Can we trust that this promise Jesus makes is actually true? Does he have the power to even follow up with what he has said? Can we be sure we can count on it? This is the question that we're going to be brave enough to ask this morning. Today, is faith in Jesus worth it? Can we trust him? This is where we're going this morning. And we are going to be back in the book of Mark, and so we want to look at the audience that Mark was writing to. Mark was actually writing to Roman Christians in the first century, in the capital city of the whole empire in Rome. And you see what had happened is, after Jesus in Matthew 28 had commissioned all his disciples to go out, spread the good news, tell everyone about me. So they did. They went all over the world, and including the very capital, the most prominent city of the entire empire, Rome. And so the uh, people like the Apostle Paul and other people like the Apostle Peter, who is an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, was with him throughout it all. He shows up to Rome and says, guys, i got to tell you what I saw. i got to tell you what Jesus did. It was amazing. He is the the solution to every problem we can think of. He's so great. And so all these churches start to raise up. Things are going great. Little churches are meeting in houses all across Rome. And things are great. But then, in the summer of 69, no, not the summer of 69, (laughs) you thought so. Actually, it was the summer of 64, but things weren't quite as great as that. In the summer of 64, there was a huge fire that just ripped through the entire Roman capital, and it just burned most of the city to the ground. So you can imagine all the Christians in this city, a lot of them lost their homes too. A lot of them lost their businesses too. A lot of them had family members die too. Everyone's suffering though in the whole city. And so the emperor Nero tries his best to start rebuilding the city, trying to keep people at peace. But you can imagine he cannot do it fast enough. And so the people start to get angry. The people start to revolt. He has a huge city-wide, empire-wide kind of problem on his hands. And so what does he do? He finds a scapegoat. Fingers those Christians. He says, those Christians who don't worship the same pagan idols that we do, those Christians that aren't in all the same guilds that we are, those weird Christians, it must be their fault. And so by fingering the Christians, he starts a huge citywide persecution where Christians are hunted down throughout the city, where they're dragged into interrogation and asked, where are your Christian friends? and tortured where they're pulled out into the streets and then pulled into Colosseum arenas where they're crucified where they're burned alive where they're torn apart by wild animals and you can imagine one of these Christians imagine a Christian in Rome hiding out somewhere thinking God what happened we used to listen to your apostles and they told us that you said I will be with you always even to the end of the age that's what we heard So what's all this? What's the good in following Jesus and having faith in Him when your people, Jesus, are the number one persecuted minority in the whole empire right now? You said that you would be with us. Jesus, can we trust you? This is the audience that the Gospel of Mark was written to. The first century people that received His gospel for the first time and these were the questions that they struggled with but you and i are here sitting in church right but still some of us face this question also jesus where are you jesus is faith in you worth it can i trust you this is the question that we come to with the text today So we'll discover what Mark wanted to say to this question. We'll discover what Mark wrote to answer this in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, open it up to chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark. If you need a Bible, the ushers are coming forward. They're going to have an extra, some Bibles if you need to follow along with us. I'd love to have you in God's Word with us. So feel free to just raise a hand and let them know. I'm going to be reading out of ESV, English Standard Version. And uh, if you open up your worship uh, folder, you've got some notes that you can take. If that helps you learn well to jot ideas down, diagram, draw things out, feel free to use all that blank space. And also on the back side, you'll see that we've got a bunch of questions related to what we're going to study this morning. And these are questions for your life group that you can meet with uh, later on this week. Or if you just want to take these and look through them in your personal Bible study throughout the week, feel free to use these. Check these out. And uh, let God's word continue to massage your heart as you go throughout this week. So Mark chapter 2, hopefully we're all there. Mark chapter 2, we're starting here in verse 1. So to answer what these questions were, we're first going to have to look at who's Jesus? Who is this Jesus? What did he claim? Did he have the power to back up his promises? Did he care to? So that brings us Chapter 2, verse 1, when Jesus returns to his regional home base in Capernaum, we see, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. All right, so Jesus and his buddies, his disciples, they're moving on back into Capernaum. And Capernaum is a town that's up in the northern region of Israel. It's on the very top of the Sea of Galilee on the shores there. And so this was a place where Jesus liked to do a lot of ministry and He'd actually already been serving here earlier. And so when they're coming into town in chapter 2, verse 1, they're kind of back, the boys are back in town. So here they are, and everyone's like, Hey, Jesus is back. He was here earlier doing miracles. And you can imagine that word of his arrival spread like wildfire throughout the town. Hey, Jesus is here. Come on, let's go check it out. He did so many cool things earlier. Let's see what he's going to do now. So... Many of our English translations uh, at the later part of this verse, he was home. They translate it as home. But we actually know from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus' hometown was Nazareth. And that's actually a couple miles in the hill country southwest of Capernaum. So this isn't his hometown. A better way to translate this is that he was in the house. And we see this later as we keep reading. And many were gathered together, verse 2, So that there was no more room, not even at the door. So who's in the house? Jesus and a whole lot of other people. (laughs) The place is packed. And so Jesus has got all these people in the house. Just like his earlier Capernaum ministry, everyone's crowding at the door. Even when they can't get in, they're still trying to look through the door to see if they can hear him, see him, see what he's about to do, learn from him. And we know that Jesus is a great teacher and that's exactly what he's doing. says he was preaching the word to them. Word means the gospel, the good news, the message that Jesus came to deliver. And we see that Mark actually gives us an indicator of that back in chapter 1, verse 15. This is the summary of what Jesus was going around preaching back then. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is what Jesus is talking about. He's hanging out in a house, which is probably uh, the house that belongs to the family of the apostle Peter and the apostle Andrew. As we look in chapter 1, verse 21 and verse 29, we see that they are locals to Capernaum. So it makes sense. He'd probably be hanging out in their house. So he's got the house. He's packing sold-out venues in Capernaum again. He's famous. Everyone wants to see him things are going great. This is this is ministry clicking along 100%. But then we see there's a conflict in the story. Something turns. And the conflict is introduced by some people that we don't even know who they are. We don't know their occupation, we don't know where they came from necessarily. We don't even know how they're connected together. Mark simply introduces them by saying And they came. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Okay. So whether these are his friends, they're his family members, maybe they're even just community leaders that know him, they knew this paralyzed man well enough to carry him all the way to Jesus. And so we can probably assume that they knew him fairly well. They cared about him. They wanted to bring him all the way to Jesus. And so imagine as they knew this man, what they had experienced with him. They had seen his his condition take a huge toll on his family. They'd seen his finances dwindle away time after time into nothing as he couldn't work, he couldn't provide for his family. They saw his house fall into disrepair. They saw the effects of this paralyzed state ruin his life day after day after day. And some of us, honestly, some of us who have cared for chronically ill family members, healing ones, we know what that's like, don't we? It's so sad. It's so difficult. And so when they heard that Jesus was coming, man, They wanted to bring their friend to him. They wanted him to find the healing that they believed Jesus could bring. They trusted that Jesus could make it happen. They just had to get this man to him. So when we read further in verse 4, it says, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd. Ooh, think of this. They had traveled all this way. Four guys had even been carrying this paralyzed man all the way. And they had come so close. Oh, man. And now the house Jesus is in is packed out like a rock concert. It's so tight in there like sardines. There's no standing room only. They've hit a wall, impenetrable wall of people. What are they going to do? Man, they've come so far. And yet Jesus is over there. He can't see them. Does he notice that they're over here on the edges? Does he care? Can they trust that he will find and see them? I don't know if you guys have ever felt that you're in the same situation. That you're like, yeah, yeah, I've trusted in Jesus. I had faith. But, but then my faith led me up to a point where I hit a wall too. Maybe it wasn't people in a house. But maybe you have traveled to so many different groups full of single people and you've been on so many dates And yet it seems, man, I can never find someone to marry. Will I ever be married, Jesus? Or you think to yourself, I've invested so many years into this company. I've worked so hard. And now my head's on the chopping block here because of budget cuts. And you think to yourself, Jesus, what gives? I've been so faithful. I've trusted you up to this point. And now your faith has hit a wall. It's like these companions of this paralyzed man. Their faith led them up to this point and then an obstacle. But we see that they didn't give up. Their trust in Jesus compelled them to keep going. We see in the rest of verse 4, they removed the roof above him. So their faith found another option. They got up on top of the roof, like, okay, Jesus is down there in the house. And they started ripping away the mud and the straw and the grasses and the thatch and pulling a roof apart. And just imagine, Jesus is sitting in this house, this dim house packed with all these people. And then all of a sudden, they noticed the roof starts coming apart. Can you imagine how strange that would be? Like debris falling down on people and mud and dust and Oh, man, what what in the world is happening? And and Peter and Andrew are probably thinking, what is happening to our roof? (laughs) What is going on? And so eventually we see that these friends, these family, these community leaders, whoever they were, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So in the middle of a sentence when Jesus is teaching a lesson, which is probably perfect, because Jesus is perfect, right? I mean, it's got to be a great lesson. But then it's interrupted by these guys. This paralyzed man is lowered down, boom, placed on the floor there. And then the question comes up for his friends again. Is Jesus going to do something for this man? Is faith in Jesus here that he could heal, that he could do something for him, that he could help? Is it worth it? Can we trust him? Just imagine this paralyzed man lying on the ground. He can't run away. He can't. He can't do anything. He's waiting on Jesus to see what Jesus is about to do. Andrew and Peter have their eyes on the roof. Oh man, this is going to cost a lot to repair. But everyone else has got their eyes on Jesus. What is he going to do? Well, there was one time, a couple of years ago, I was called uh, onto a jury. And so I went downtown to Long Beach and got in the cool new Duke-Masian courthouse, and uh, I got through all the levels of screening, and even though I had a lot of honest objections, they're like, nope, still good to go, okay, all right, here you go. And I got all the way to the juror's box, and I'm sitting there, and the judge goes back through each one of us and says, you know, ask us a bunch of questions, and he finds out that I'm a current student. I'm currently in seminary at Talbot School of Theology, and I was enrolled in a class right then, a grad student. So... He finds out I'm a grad student, that I'm missing class to be a a juror in this case. And he says, Well, would you like to leave? And I said, Yes, I'd like to go back to class (laughs) that I paid for. And he said, Hmm. And everyone looked and we waited. What was going to happen next? He had the power to release me to my class and free me from my obligations there or to keep me, right? feel like this is what it would have felt like for the paralyzed man. He was just waiting there looking at Jesus, looking up into Jesus' eyes and Jesus has the power to make or break this man in front of everyone. Right? What is Jesus going to do? Is he trustworthy? Can we trust that faith in him in this moment will pay off, will be worth it? And Jesus looks at this man, but then his eyes leave him. He's not looking at the paralyzed man anymore. He's looking all the way up. And he sees that hole in the roof. And he sees four faces looking down, out of the bright sun, down into the dim, dusty light below. And he sees those faces. And he smiles. Yes. Yes. That is what I'm looking for. That is it. We read in the next verse, when Jesus saw their face. See, this isn't about the paralyzed man having faith. This isn't about Jesus uh, having faith that he could do this. This is about the companions that brought him and said, yes, we believe. We trust that Jesus can heal this man. We trust that Jesus is good enough to do this. We trust that Jesus has the ability and is willing to help our friend out. And he sees that kind of trust in him And he revels in it. And because of that, he comes back to the paralytic and he kneels down and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Now, some of you may be amazed by that. Some of you may be thinking, "Uh, well, wait a minute. His problem is that he can't walk. (laughs) Isn't that the point here? Jesus is supposed to help this guy walk because he can't walk. What is he doing talking about sins and forgiveness? Total non sequitur. Like, does Jesus get it? This guy couldn't walk in, and so he needs to be able to walk. What Jesus is doing is he's cutting to the heart of the matter. You see, he knew that humankind, it wasn't meant to have to deal with the suffering of conditions like this. Humankind wasn't meant to deal with pain, with hardship, because God made the world perfect, but then sin broke the world. Sin tainted everything. And so when Jesus sees this paralyzed man lying there, he says, the root issue is sin. Jesus thinks, you know what? I could heal this guy, and he could get up and run around and walk around, but he'd only be running around on borrowed. If his sins weren't forgiven. He could be leaping and jumping and standing. But it wouldn't make a difference. After death. Unless his sins are forgiven. And so Jesus cuts to the issue. And he offers this man. This poor man. An offer to run on new legs. For eternity. With his creator forever. What an offer. But. We see some more conflict, too. Jesus has made this amazing offer here, but it's not so amazing to everyone who's in the crowd, packed into the house with him. And then Mark gives us an indication here that, yes, there are some people who trust in Jesus and there are other people that do not. In this case, he's identifying that they are the scribes. He says the scribes were there, and they doubted Jesus. You see, the scribes were experts in the Old Testament religious law. They were the Jewish religious experts, the lawyers that knew the law back and forward and how it should be interpreted and how it should be applied. And so they were really smart. And so when they see that Jesus, this uneducated peasant, comes from who knows where and says, your sins are forgiven, they sit back, they clench their fists, they they tighten their eyes, tilt their chins and they think, "Oh, who does he think he is? They think in their minds here, it says in verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And in one sense, they're right. The Old Testament is full of verses that talk about how it's God's prerogative to forgive sins. Not just any random person. But in their jealousy of God's glory, or in their arrogance of for how much they knew, they doubted that Jesus was able to do this. And they think, oh, who is this random son of a carpenter from Nazareth to suddenly come in here and claim that this man's sins are forgiven? I mean, anyone could say that, right? I could say, oh, your sins are forgiven. Oh, your sins are forgiven. But I don't I don't have the power to back that up. <laughs> I could say anything. And so when Jesus says this, they say, Oh, really, Jesus? Is his, Are his sins forgiven? Prove it. Prove it. Oh, and this is where the story gets so awesome. Check this out. This uneducated peasant, this carpenter's son, it says in verse 8, Immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus Questioned within themselves, and said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Oh man, he knew what they were thinking already and joins right back at him. He says this in verse 9 Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? So what Jesus does is he meets them right on their intellectual level delivers a counterpunch by saying, hey, okay, I have a question for you guys. Which one's easier? And honestly, this is a tricky question because on one hand, to say that someone's sins are forgiven, hey, your sins are forgiven. Well, that was easy, right? But to actually back up that spiritual truth, well, that's kind of hard to prove. Well, on the other hand, you could say, hey, be healed. Like it's really easy to say be healed or something, but to actually heal someone where a paralytic man could leap up and walk around, that's pretty hard to do, too. So he's laid this question out, and it actually introduces a scenario where he is saying, basically, if I have the authority to heal this man to leap up off the ground, then you can trust that I have the authority to say that his sins are forgiven. So he lays that down on the table for everyone to hear. But then he takes it one step further. In verse 10, But that you may know, all of you, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So Jesus has just raised the stakes. Not only is he saying that he might have the authority to know if this man's sins are forgiven, he's referred to himself as the Son of Man, his favorite mysterious title, and saying that he... He has the authority to forgive sins. He has the actual authority, the power of God Almighty in himself to say, your sins are forgiven. Whoa! I know that we, a lot of us have grown up in church. We've heard this before. We know that Jesus is the Savior. We know that he died on the cross for our sins. And we just say, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, yeah, he does that. But don't miss the amazing news that this would have been to that audience. They had never even met Jesus or heard about him, a lot of them. And so they come to this and they say, what? Jesus has just raised the stakes and placed a claim that he is on par with God's authority to forgive. How in the world can he claim that? Is he really like some messianic agent from God? Or is he just a lunatic? (laughs) Is he right? Can he be trusted, is faith in Jesus worth it here, or is he just a charlatan? That is the scenario that's laid out before Jesus. And so the question is, can he do it? Is, is he even trustable? So, we see that after he has laid the scenario down, the paralyzed man twitches. And then all eyes go on to this man. Everyone outside who's looking in from the door looks in too. And then it says, verse 11, the paralyzed man rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Again, for those of us who've heard this story so many times and, you know, put flannel graphs on a thing and played with this in Sunday school. Like, like, we've heard this story, but think about what this would have been like for the people there. Imagine if your husband, if your brother, if your father, if your friend had been paralyzed for years and you'd watched his life fall apart. And then suddenly, in an instant, he leaps back up and he has two good legs that he's standing on. You would be amazed. You'd be kind of scared. You'd be astounded. You'd be like, this is wonderful. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then imagine the joy that this man had as he stands up (laughs) and then obeys. Jesus picks up his mat, runs home, sees his house, gives his wife a hug. He picks up his kids and swings them around because he's never been able to do this for years. Picture the joy that's in his life. That would have been amazing. This was a miracle. Jesus could be trusted. You see, this is what we talk about when we say Jesus saves. This is the saving that we are talking about. Sometimes we say Jesus saves and we think of saves like, preserving a Word document on our computer, right? Jesus saves. <laughs> like. But this is not what Jesus saves means. This is not like saving your leftovers from last Tuesday's dinner. Jesus saves is like Jesus rescues. Jesus rescues us like a life preserver to someone who's drowning. We had no choice. We had no options. We had no ability to save ourselves. And yet Jesus jumps in and rescues us. That is what Jesus saves means. And oh, what a wonderful salvation it is. You see, this is also a great example of how Jesus gives us an idea of how we can think of those who are disabled, those who are paralyzed like this man or facing other conditions that they suffer from. You see, Jesus actually interrupted his entire ministry schedule. (laughs) They dropped a man down, and he was in mid-sentence in a great lesson, because it's Jesus, and it probably was a really good lesson. He stopped everything and cared for this man we get an idea of how Jesus would want us to care for people too. People who most societies would dismiss and throw away because they're not productive members of society. Jesus says, no, I love people. And these people matter. The paralyzed man's companions, they got their answer that day. Jesus was capable. Their faith in him was worth it. Jesus could be trusted. And it made sense to trust in Christ because only He, the Son of Man with the authority to forgive sins, could make things right. Oh, man. We see this in everyone else who was in the town, too, who was gathered at the house at the end of verse 12. So that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, Whoa, we never saw anything like this. Oh, my goodness. But specifically, those people, they, who had brought this paralyzed man there, they got their answer. Faith in Jesus was worth it. He could be trusted. Jesus was so powerful, and he was also so good. They could trust him. It made sense to trust in Christ, because only he could make everything right. Now, there aren't many in this room probably facing chronic uh, issues or conditions or diseases like this paralyzed man did. But there might be some. And for you, I would just encourage you, trust Jesus all the more. He has what it takes to get you through this. And look what Jesus promises, an eternal life where there is never any more pain, where there is peace. That is such a great promise any of us facing those issues. Now, a lot of us might say, well, Carrie, I'm not facing any chronic medical conditions that are really debilitating. Um, well, okay, great. like That's cool. like Praise the Lord for that, right? But well, we still face a lot of situations in our life that cause us to doubt Jesus, don't we? We still do. And as I think of that, I, I was reading back through Matthew again, and I was in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and I remember thinking Jesus, can I trust you in all these promises that you make us today, here, now, these things that you've promised your followers that are still true today. Jesus, when I read Matthew 5 and see verse 4 where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus, will you comfort me in the grief that I'm experiencing? Jesus, when you said the meek shall inherit the earth, are are you willing to back me up at work when I choose to be humble instead of promoting myself all the time? When I hunger and I thirst for righteousness, when I want to see justice done, wrongs made right in our city, in our nation, you said that I shall be satisfied. Jesus, did you mean it? You also promised that when I'm merciful to my kids, even though they don't deserve it, oh Lord, when I'm merciful to them, you said that I shall receive mercy when I need it too, because I know I also need it. Will you? Can I trust you? Jesus, you also said that blessed are the pure in heart. And Lord, when I try over and over and over again and make so many boundaries in my life to be pure at heart, Jesus, will I see God like you promised me again? Jesus, also, when people mock me and persecute me and utter all kinds of evil against me falsely, just because I'm a Christian, is it true that my reward is great in heaven? Can I hope to that? Can I trust in that? Jesus, can I trust you? This is the question the Who brought this paralyzed man? Ask. This is the question that the people, the Roman Christians in the first century who are reading Mark's letter, ask. And this is the same question that you and I today ask. And the answer to all these questions in Christ is yes. Yes. Yes, Jesus will come through on his promises. Yes, he will do what he said. Yes, he is trustworthy. Yes, faith in Jesus is worth it. We can trust him. Take a tip from this story and know that you can trust him. My wife and I are in a situation where I'm about to graduate from seminary and uh, I'll be done about the end of this uh, semester. So in this summer, we're looking to look for full-time jobs. We're looking to maybe have to move because of that. We also announced that we're pregnant last week, so uh. (laughs) that's a big change coming up too. So there are so many big things coming up in our lives, and we're going to have to say, oh my goodness, Lord, if we have to move, if we have to change jobs, if we have to adjust our life completely, if we have a new son coming, oh my word, what are we going to do, Lord? Can we trust you? And as I read this story, I know we can. Jesus Is trustworthy. Faith in Him is worth it. So I ask you, what situations are you now facing? What circumstances are testing your confidence in Jesus? Don't doubt His abilities like the scribes did. And I'd encourage you, trust Him like the friends of the paralytic did. They were not disappointed and you won't be either. Faith in Jesus is worth it. We can trust Him. And it makes sense to trust in Christ because truly He, only He, can make things right. If you will, please join me in prayer. God, we are thankful for Your Word, and we are thankful for all that You have given us to help us understand who You are. God, we recognize that you're not some genie up in heaven that just simply grants all our wishes. And you're not Santa Claus that just answers a list of wishes and and wants that we have. But God, you are actually a good father who gives good gifts to your kids because you love us. Lord, we know that because Jesus promised us that in Scripture too. God, help us hold fast the promises that you have made and give us faith, Lord, help us to trust you. Give us confidence in the abilities and in the love you have for us. We pray these things. Amen.